What's going on? It's Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with McKinley Dixon over Zoom video. McKinley was born in Maryland, spent uh, most of his time between Maryland and Queens, and talks about how he got into music. McKinley started to release a few songs in high school and then eventually put out an album while attending college in Virginia. McKinley's released three albums thus far, and all of them follow suit. It's a trilogy of albums. So McKinley talks about the story that starts with the first album, ends with the third album, For My Mama and Anyone Who Looks Like Her. McKinley also talks to us a lot about the new album that is coming out in June called Beloved Paradise Jazz. You can watch our interview with McKinley Dixon on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with McKinley Dixon. Hey, McKinley, what's going on? Good. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you for having me, of course. Awesome. I think I see a cat in the back. Yeah, that's Lady Hulk. <laughs> Lady Hulk? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, he's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing this again. Um, this is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about uh, the new stuff you have coming out and what, you know, how you got to where you are now. Awesome. Thank you. Do you want me to orientate the camera differently, or does this work for you? I mean, this works for me. It looks awesome. good. Perfect. Cool. Uh, so I did, I believe I saw that you were born, were you born in Maryland? Yeah, Annapolis. Tell me about that. And then how, and then what, you moved to uh, Virginia, right? That's fairly yeah. close. But. So I grew up in Annapolis because my mother... I uh, originally grew up in New York and then left New York uh, a little bit before she had me and then moved to Annapolis. And then I went, spent time between Annapolis, Maryland and Richmond, Virginia, or Annapolis, Maryland and Jamaica, Queens, New York, before moving ultimately to Richmond, Virginia. Okay. How old were you when you moved to Richmond? I was going for college. So, oh, whenever, so okay, college 18 age, or so. Yeah. Around okay. 17, I'm a little bit younger. So prior to that, I mean, uh, what was it like growing up in, in uh, Maryland? Or I guess between um, Maryland and New York. Annapolis, Maryland is a very interesting place just because it's very uh, it's very policed and militarized because the Naval Academy is there. So oh, sure. a lot of people sort of have the idea that they're going to go into the Navy, become midshipmen, and sort of eventually do that. Whereas if you don't really have that idea in mind, you sort of are left up to your own devices in a way that doesn't really allow you to grow, you know? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting place. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful little town on the water, but it doesn't really do much if you sort of have ideas bigger than, you know, working at the local crab shack, you know. Yeah, you or know? joining the military. <laughs> or, join, or joining the Naval Academy. The Naval Academy gets a lot of people every year. Oh, oh you know, I bet. Yeah. Um, but then the difference would be I would go to a place like, Jamaica Queens, where I would spend a lot of time and everybody looked like me. So it sort of became this thing where I really longed for the moments that I was missing when I would go to Queens and then come back home and things like that. Okay. 
Interesting. So what about music? Do you come from a musical household at all? Actually, not at all. I, uh, I don't really, my mother really didn't listen to music too much in my house just because she was so focused on sort of like pulling herself out of a, you know, pulling herself out of the situation that she had, you know, she had two kids. She was a mother who sort of worked hard. So mm-hmm. we don't really have a lot of time. We're really lucky to have a lot of time now where we can sort of just do music and listen to music all the time. That's nice. Yeah. So was it something you're always drawn to though? Music? Um, I, I sort of came into music a little bit later, not, not like super late, but I don't really remember too much instances of me listening to music free, like middle school, you know, okay. people, some people will be like, I grew up with the Beatles and I was listening to them since I was two years old, but <laughs> right, me, right. It's like, I sort of really didn't have that entrance into it until I was trying to figure myself out, you know, and separate okay. myself from what I was raised on. And that was in middle school. You said, what were the first records you were getting? Crash. Uh, I was uh, I was listening to fit in. So at that time I was still in Maryland. So I was listening to music sort of fit in with my peers. So I would listen to stuff like Avenged Sevenfold. Okay. Which is like, cool. Listen what you're yeah. doing now. <laughs> yeah, the rev, you know what I mean? But like, besides that, it's really, I would listen to music that I didn't really have a stake in, you know, until I got a little bit later in that. And I started listening to things like the used and my chemical romance, which were a little bit lighter, but also sort of, more expressive in how they did gender and things like that. It was really interesting to me. Yeah, very cool. And when you went to, you said you, or like when you went to school in, in Virginia, is that when you started writing music or is that, or were you doing that prior? I was doing it a little bit in high school. I think I wrote my first like song song in like 2011 and then released my first bit of music into whatever the internet was in 2013. So Okay. And was that something that you, um, I mean, to put, put your first songs out, was it something that you got validation on from your peers then? Like, oh, yeah, dude, you're, you're, you're really good at this. You should start. Oh, definitely this. not. Definitely not. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, Annapolis is interesting because it's one of those places where there's a lot of small towns that sort of don't allow you to blossom if you're within my demographic. But then there's Annapolis, Maryland, where it sort of does this thing where it kind of stomps you out, you know, because it's so police, so militarized. It sort of tries to force you to fit into that. So a lot of the people there were not really thinking about rap music like that, especially when I was coming up. And then you go to New York. I live in New York. And the alternative is a lot of folks there are just so busy moving, you know, like doing everything that you come along as a rapper. It's like, oh, well, this is the home of hip hop. So if you don't really got anything to say yet, you're not really saying anything, you know, so. Right. It took a little bit of time. And I'm still working on that validation from that, those communities, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, going from, it sounds like uh, an area that didn't really uh, embrace it at all to an area where it's like the, you know, like you said, the yeah. birthplace of the greatest hip hop artist of all time. Yeah. Uh, kind of juggling between the two would have been, I would imagine, pretty difficult. Definitely, definitely. I mean... And, it's, and it sort of goes into my music now because it, it gives me this sense of like longing when it's like, oh, I really wish I was part of this community in Maryland that didn't really accept me. Oh, I wish I was really a part of this hip hop community that I always idolized, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So once you started releasing songs, like, uh, I mean, to get the courage to do that in the first place, was it you just decided to say, you know, whatever, I don't really care what other people think? Oh, yeah. I, I think that it got to a point where I was like, 
okay, I'm not really bad at this. <laughs> Maybe I should put it on the internet, you know? Sure, sure. And then you, when do you, and a few years later is when you put out your first album, right? Yeah, Who Thought Today Yourself first came out in 2015. Okay. And were you in college at that point or you had done finished? Yeah, I was still in college at that point. I had a, a little bit left. That maybe it was, yeah, it was 2015, I think. Yeah, that record was sort of like a mixtape where I just put a lot of time into the beat selection and the overall concepts. You know, it sort of relied a lot on who taught you as a young black person, black man, how to change yourself. You know, a very base level concept and base level question that has a lot of answers. Mm hmm. And was that something that you, I mean, while in school were at prior to putting that album out, were you uh, performing at all or just oh. working on your own stuff and then putting it out? Did people know that yeah. you had a passion for what you were doing? Um, by the time I hit like my second or third year of college, maybe it became the sort of thing where people were like, Oh, this is McKinley Dixon, especially within the small town of Richmond, Virginia, where it wasn't really it was it wasn't really a lot of folks doing what I was doing in the sense where not only would they have a band behind a rapper, but the musician, the instrumentation on the record would also sort of mimic that. Mm -hmm. And did you use uh, live instruments at all in those early albums? Not on the first one. On the second one. Yeah, that one is where I sort of tried to implement this idea of like, what if I tried, you know, a, a little bit more because the way I work is I can see. The, I have a lot of patience because I sort of had to do this all myself. You know, rap was not really, even nowadays, I mean, nowadays more so, but when I was coming up in the early 2010s, rap was still sort of this thing that was limited to mixtapes or major label artists, you know? So a lot of these ideas that I had to get were like, maybe if I wait, because in the end, if I really keep the intention, that's what rap music is. You keep your intention, you sort of get to where you need to be. So I was always very patient with how I made my music and approached it. And that's why with the first record, Who Taught You to Hate Yourself? I was like, this is not going to be the record that I think I'm going to start on. This will be a series of three records where it can document my growth, not only for me, but for the audience as well. So Who Taught You to Hate Yourself was the first one that was mainly beats, mainly uh, produced songs. And then Importance of Self-Belief, the 2018 release was when I started experimenting with more instrumental instruments on the instrumentals and then was the in the record that came out uh, i guess two years ago now with uh for my mom and anyone look like her is that the progression in that same like, yeah. is it like a con conceptual like first second third album or is it just happens to yeah. grow that way as far as yeah uh, so that's actually the third album in the trilogy it definitely is the ending of me sort of exploring and journeying to do this becoming this underground artist you know because honestly that was the first record a lot of people sort of heard from me even though it was like my third sort of album or release that i've done and it was sort of this culmination of all right well this is what i've learned over this last however long time period this is what me and my friends have learned this is how my friends have grown and this is the direction that we're going and this is sort of my first release was for my mama okay so those two albums prior, did you know it was going to be part of a trilogy or just happened to uh, unfold yeah. that way? Yeah, I always sort of had the idea to make it a trilogy just because that was a really good way to document growth. And 
it also is what Toni Morrison did with her books, her first round of books too. Oh, sure. Interesting. Okay. So with, with that third one, you said that's when people started to notice, even though it was your third record, um, that was the first time a lot of people, you know, were kind of were exposed to what you were doing. And what was the, val- like, how did that all happen? Like, do you remember getting that validation and being like, oh, you know, finally, like third album's out. People are, are really starting to notice what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it sort of came, it's coming gradually, you know, when I first dropped that record. So that record came to, came over the course of 20, 17 about till 2021 so a lot of learning a lot of distance traveled time traveled and things like that and it sort of was the slow burn because i i have the the mindset that like a slow burn will stave off the imposter syndrome you know so i think that i was very much aware that when this comes out it will be released and it will be received maybe not the best album received but it'll be received well and i think even when i first started working on it i was like this is not going to come out in any amount of time you know especially because of the turn that it took in like 2018 where i started rewriting a lot of the stuff based on the death of my friend tyler and then from there it sort of became this this album where i'm going to really try to i'm really going to try to make it sound human you know a lot of it was recorded in basements and bedrooms across the city of Richmond, wherever we were touring and things like that. So it sort of was this really good glimpse in uh, at being a complex person. And I think that is that alone, you're going to have to be patient for people to really hear that, you know? And I think I was really lucky enough to be able to see the trajectory of it because even to this day, it still is this thing where your average hip hop listener will not know who I am, but you know, if somebody is really into underground rap, they're definitely have heard of former mama and anyone who looked like her, which is where I came up in. So it's good. Yeah. So you said that, that that album was based kind of around losing your friend Tyler. The song that you wrote about him came out fairly recently, though, correct? I mean, was that sure. song written back then as well? or And you just didn't throw yeah. it on the album? Or like, where does that song fall in line? Yeah, so Tyler passed in 2018 in March, I think. So... The actual song that was written out of those feelings was Make a Poet Black from For My Mama and Anyone Who Looked Like Her. And okay. that's a very different song, a very different sounding song. And once you know it, you sort of get understand how to go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so then with Tyler Forever, it's sort of this thing where it's not really a song that came out of sadness, it's a song that came out of memories. It's a song that came out of seeing the beauty that exists within those memories and the times that we had, regardless of if the times were good or bad, you know? And I think it became this sort of thing where Tyler Forever is the last song where I explicitly talk about this person, because after a while, you don't really talk about these people anymore. You know, you sort of talk about ghosts and things. And I wasn't, wasn't really trying to talk about that anymore. Sure. Wow. With, with uh, that, the For Mama album, that was recorded over the course of what the last, I mean, it sounds like it was in the midst of the pandemic and all of that. And you're recording at different places. Yeah. Was that, a, a, I mean, obviously an unconventional way to record a record or get stuff done. Um, was, was it difficult to, to, you know, kind of navigate that timing and, and write and, and were you feeling creative at that time? I mean, a lot of people yeah. kind of land and hit a wall with not being able to be yeah. like, obviously experiencing life at that time. Yeah. So, 
for me, the majority of the record was written between 2017 and to 2019, 2020. It was really only protected styles that sort of came out of the silence and sitting with myself during the pandemic. You know, sort of the song where it talks about how everyone, all of my family needs like therapy and things like that. And that was coming at definitely an integral point as I was sort of, as I was sort of learning what silence and space is, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. Which is a hard thing to do, right? I mean, to definitely. sit with yourself. Definitely, definitely. And that's why that song is the last song that's on the, not on the record physically, but the last song that I wrote for the record. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, just that's one thing I always find very hard is kind of like that self, um, you know, you're sitting with yourself, you're kind of the self-reflective thing that you don't really want to dive too deep into, but then you kind of have to, to get, uh, you know, sort of get yourself sorted out a little bit. Exactly. Um, so with, with that album, you know, it comes out, it gets a lot of, you know, press, you're getting these great reviews, great write-ups about it. That must've been, you know, I would assume pretty, you know, validating in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely, it is definitely cool. You know, I still think it hasn't landed as hard as it ha- as it will, as time goes on, you know, and it's really, really nice to have people affirm that record at the same time, you know, I sort of, that record is now in my past, you know, it's definitely a record that was a lot to write, you know. Oh, I bet. Sure. And then it's kind of cool to see, especially now, you know, you have uh, TikTok and all these other things that are happening are kind of like rebirthing some of the songs. I mean, not that the record's old by any means, but like, you know, things are happening that might've been a couple of years back. And then now it's like this huge thing that's going on now. I feel like there's a lot more opportunity for that nowadays. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I'm not really a TikTok user. I'm not even going to lie to you. All of my, <laughs> either. I'm too all old. Of my team is, will be like, yeah, don't even say you use TikTok as all the times you do not use TikTok. So for me, it, I think that just is another sort of idea that I have with like the patience of it all, because it really is like, yeah, this is real cool right now, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to last forever, you know? Sure. No. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, yeah, we, we talked about Tyler Forever. You have another song out this, this year. It was uh, Sun I Rise. Want to tell me about that one a little bit? Yeah, Sun I Rise is... So the album is... This upcoming album, Beloved Paradise Jazz, it's sort of sequence that it starts the day that you enter the story with Sun I Rise, and then it goes to the end of the story with the closing song. And it is these moments that I really explicitly wanted to capture cinematically like quite directly through the sun's transition throughout the day. So a lot of the songs reference different parts of the sun throughout the day. And Sun I Rise explicitly does that in the chorus and the title, but it is the second song on the record after the intro done by Hanif Adraquid. And it's sort of the first song that starts out with the harp and lets you know that this is the intention. This is where we're going to go. Okay. Yeah. So it is a, it is more, sounds like a party. A lot of your projects are like, you know, have that conceptual feel to it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I try. I mean, I try. I think it just sort of comes out like that. I wish it was more. I mean, it is intentional, but I mean, sometimes people view it as a really complex sort of thing. When in actuality, it's just kind of how I write, you know. <laughs> and I would, <laughs> So they're not in order, though, when you're writing, though, correct? Or you do kind of no. write it. 
storyline. No, I, I don't really write them. For My Mama was done in a specific order, but this one sort of came as the songs came and as I was inspired by them. Okay. And then choosing the, the, the way that the record flows, you had to kind of what build it into the, the message you wanted to put out at the end That's of it, it or kind of like figuring out how the story um, all the way through? Out of 10 songs, I probably get about to song five and then I sort of know what I want. And then by song like seven, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where the last three songs are going to fit. You know, it's sort of okay. it comes with ebbs and flows and things like that. Sure, sure. And then the record uh, it's coming out in June, Beloved Paradise of Jazz. And then the jazz part has a question mark at the end. Like, yeah, exclamation mark, question mark. Uh, what's the you know, kind of idea behind that? <laughs> so with um, Tony Morrison's trilogy, Beloved Jazz Paradise, it sort of follows the Dante trilogy where you, you know, uh, whatever those are. I don't, that one's less important to me, but heaven, hell, earth, you know. And then mm -hmm. this one for me, I sort of was like, one, what if there's sort of like Beloved is the beginning and it's sort of this moment that changes you and your loved ones, you know, and then there's paradise, the moment after this, these, uh, these events, whether harrowing or loving, they sort of is an after moment and that is paradise. And then jazz is like, well, what if those moments never end? What if it's always chaotic? What if those things sort of always happen and it's the human nature, you know? And I think the jazz with the exclamation point and the question mark sort of uh, has the listener kind of see what is after paradise you know what does jazz mean to them you know mm -hmm. it doesn't really just mean the musical genre but it does sort of mean the chaos that ensues whether being good or bad is it all tied in because you know you're taking from the tony morrison oh, she, she got a ton of, of of novels out but it was yeah the the, the records in a row hers are out of order in the sense of how they land as far as your album goes but was it like were you uh, listening or were you in, uh, heavily invested in those those novels or like how did that kind of um, tie into what you're doing as far as this album yeah I think I draw a lot from those from those books in the sense that not only do I like how trilogies sort of go to map your trajectory trajectory as a person and an artist I think it is always good to have sort of an anchoring point to see where you started and to where you end and the trilogy that I made is sort of me figuring out where I'm going and learning more and more. And then Beloved Paradise Jazz, while it is a separate album from the three series, it is a nod to where I came from in the sense of the title, in the sense that it's a trilogy, ender, beginning, whatever, whatever, whatever it's mentioned, named after Toni Morrison's novel. So I took a lot of that from those three books, but also the actual literature itself is so moving in how it describes the complexity of humans. You know, I think that Toni Morrison is the best person to describe love because not only will she put a moment of affection and intimacy, she'll also couple it with the moment of harrowing. And I think that is really what I'm trying to get across with my music is to be human is to be complex and it is not to be in one or the other. It is to be both, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. That's really cool. Thanks. And you're doing a you're doing a big tour coming up as well, right? With uh, Tank and the Bangas. They actually just got off of it. Oh, he just got off That's of the tour. <laughs> God, my dates are so messed up, man. No, uh, great, totally okay. great band though. I, I've I've yeah. had them on our my podcast before. Yeah, Tank and them are 
Awesome. I love them. I mean, it's the second time we went on tour with them. So at this point, it was sort of like a familial affair. You know, we all knew each other really, really well. And we all sort of worked really well with each other's schedules and how we move. We sort of knew a little bit better, which definitely helps when you travel with somebody for 35 days. Yeah, yeah I bet. With, with that tour, do you, when you tour, do you have a live band with you? Yeah, I have a uh, bass, keys and drums. Was that something like when did you start playing more with with a full band or was that early, was, early on in your career? I mean, you said the second album yeah. had live instruments on it, but it was pretty early on. I mean, my first show was with just a saxophone and, a, and me doing the beats while I rapped. And then oh, from there, yeah, that was 2015, I think. So from there, it's sort of always added. I had a wall of sound period where it was like violin, saxophone, drums, bass, keys, all the accoutrements. And then I had to tone it down because you can't really tour. I could have toured with all those people and all those people <laughs> don't want to tour. You know, people don't really want to tour. So I cut it down to guitar, bass, drums. And then as time went on, it sort of became keys because there's a lot more keys that are on this most recent album. Yeah. Wow. Well, to play with just a saxophone and then kind of your own you know yeah. you're doing the, the beats and and rapping at the same time ah, that would that would be uh, i feel like that would be such a hard thing to to kind of uh to, to do just because you know the saxophone isn't as like you know time signature i mean it's not as like like it's not a beat like a drum right it's like yeah. they're they've got to kind of play off of what you're doing and, and exactly. vice versa exactly and we did a little bit of rehearsal but it was just, we were all so young, you know, it was like 2015. So what did we really know about performing live? <laughs> just more fun, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like a, to go out and get out and have fun. Exactly. Wow. So that's awesome that you just wrapped the tour up and then the album's coming out in June. Do you, are you going to do something to support the, the album when it's finished? Yeah, we have a couple Everyone of dates. out, I guess. Yeah. European dates coming up in May. We got some European dates coming up in June. And then that's all we're looking at for right now. Past that is fair game. Exciting. Yeah. Have you played out in Europe before? No, never done Ooh. Europe. I did um, Mexico and Canada a few years back in the same year, and it was really, really incredible. And then this will be my first across the water. So. Are you excited? I mean, I, I bet you are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's honestly it's overwhelming in some sense because I just got off the road and I'm just like, wow, I need to do everything while the sun is out in Chicago. But <laughs> I also have to be like, Oh, I got like 25 days to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so you're in Chicago now, how long ago, or when did you uh, relocate there? I moved last April going on a year, probably like oh, last so fairly new to the, to, to Chicago. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this, McKinley. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate yeah. you. Um, I have one more question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, really, all you got to do is remember everybody's name and pronouns. That's really the way to become a popular artist is just to be kind and to keep everybody's thoughts with yours when you try to communicate with them. Definitely.